Gregoire and Dan Beeson are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 86 of Smart Enough to Know Better. A podcast of science, comedy and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I am Gregoire. And we are about to launch into a very exciting interview. Absolutely. With someone who's actually famous. <gasps> a famous person. We've had a few famous people. We've got we're, pl- we're plenty of famous people. Famous people are coming out of our... Brian Dunning. That's, yes, that's... Yep. George Trab. George Trab. that's right. Peter Boghosian. He's pretty famous. He's, Fossil he's, Crocs. Fossil Crocs. <laughs> All sorts of exciting and famous people. And uh, we'll add uh, to our pantheon of interviews, Mr. Robin Ince. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Robin Ince. Hello. <laughs> Doing his Ooh. amazing voice. Now, Robin... Gravitas. Gravitas. Now, Robin, Robin Ince, of course, is a writer and a, and a comedian and sometimes actor, and he is most... Whoa, well- whoa, whoa. Out of context, that sounds like you were having a dig. That's, that's true. We've already no, established... We should explain to listeners that beforehand, that, that on my Wikipedia page, uh, which is filled, of course, with fascinating misinformation, mm. I think for a while I mean, it had they? something saying that I'd once drunk milk directly out of a cow's udder, which was annoying because it was originally a fiction that I'd made up about Ricky Gervais, who then directly went on air and immediately spun it round, right. and it turned out to make it out that it was me. <laughs> I also made up a lie once that he'd once had to sit on some ham due to the fact that he had worms and that he'd, his mother had been told oh, that that no. was worms out and um <laughs> again he spun that round so it became about me because he of course being famous he's powerful had the, uh, the yes. time to do it so since then for the last 10 years mm. i still get people saying can i just ask have you <laughs> drunk milk directly out of a cow's udder and do you sit on hands nothing worse than using your own imagination to attempt to oppress people and then then spinning it round <laughs> don't mess so with i'm guessing people. that wouldn't work well getting worms were, out of yeah it. if well, you wanted to lure do you know what i haven't tested it a botfly it works with Why bot flies. Near a fridge, if you're near a fridge, but you know we, we could uh, do this during the uh, podcast. Now we've already gone way out of control in the introduction of our guest. Let's pull it back slightly here. He is a writer. He is a comedian, and he also has some interesting friends. Uh, he's more famously known, uh, probably to many of our listeners, as one half of the BBC radio show The Infinite Monkey Cage with some other physics guy. I can't remember his name. Some uh, he's someone Brian something. I don't remember. Is it Brian yeah, Cox? It's, Brian Cox. It's Brian Cox. It was Brian. I'm sorry, I'll pull it back in again now, sorry. I'm sure he gets enough of people fangirling about not him, specifically not him. No, no, Just fangirled about specifically not our guest. And Robert Inns, who I'm also very excited to be talking to as well. Dan, let me get this out. Now, Robin, you are coming to Australia to talk about, for the Atheist Foundation of Australia, to talk about uh, happiness and science, which kind of blows me away. Yeah, it's... uh, By the way, I do apologise for spoiling the uh, uh, introduction. I hadn't realised we were going to have that level of professionalism. (laughs) I am already highly impressed by that. Oh, Um, my God. yeah, it's, it's a show that's going to be a mixture, really, of three tours that I've done in the last year in the UK, all of which, I suppose, underneath it all, have... There's a lovely... If you know Richard Feynman, who's a Nobel oh, Prize-winning yes. physicist, and there's a fantastic interview he did where he starts off by talking about a friend of his who's an artist, and he says, I've got a friend who's an artist, and sometimes they talk about flowers, and he goes, when I see a flower, I see the beauty of the flower, but mm. when you see a flower, you pick it apart, and it mm. becomes a dull thing. And I think he's kind of nutty. And he 
he has this whole thing about saying how science doesn't subtract, it only adds. Mm, mm. So it's kind of about the idea that a lot of people will go, oh, yeah, but, you know, science ruins the magic, doesn't mm. it? It kind of it ruins the magic. And I think, well, well, no, it doesn't. It adds uh, just a, a, a narrative and a level of increased curiosity and fascination, I think, with all the objects that are around you. Mm. Now, I want to ask a question. I'll just put something forward. Some people have said to me what religion does really well is create a sense of community. So not talking about the theology of it at all, just the, the concept of community and, and people get together and they have cake sales and, and they're there for you, something that maybe scepticism and the sceptical community doesn't do very well yet, though that's changing. And so maybe the, that's where the concept comes from. Religious people are happy because they're, they're monkeys all together and uh, sceptics are all angry monkeys waving our fists at the world and going, ah, I'm angry Reading about the stuff. internet and replying on the internet. That's right, writing angry, angry posts about things. Is that, do you think that's fair? Do you think religion does create a, a feeling of, of community and happiness in that way? Better now that you've mentioned it, I have realised that I've not eaten a cake since I lost my God. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I... Uh, I there are, it's interesting. There's various people I've spoken to who do feel that. And, and we have now, I think they've started in Australia as well. There's these things called Sunday Assembly, mm. where people gather together, kind of, who haven't got religion, but they gather together on a Sunday in some kind of hall. Mm. And rather than sing hymns, they sing songs by Queen, you know. And um, <laughs> which, to be, to be honest, is not anything that I'm after. Mm. I've not personally felt a loss about I mean I was brought up religiously not fundamentalism you know if I, if I was beaten it was not down to God it was mm. just down to traditional British education no, that's right, yeah. and um, <laughs> but I, I don't think I mean when I sometimes hear people go oh well no the reason we've started this organization is you know because um, even though I don't have God anymore I, I do miss going to church and I think oh my who on yeah. earth ever misses going to church mm. I have no memory of going oh brilliant it's Sunday I'm gonna go and sit on a wooden seat in a cold hall for 90 minutes yes oh what a wonderful sense of brotherhood and sisterhood i'll feel <laughs> as we moan out these hymns yes. um, but Maybe i do it's understand a, a sad that- like a masochism like we're all in this together we <laughs> all have to sit on these terrible chairs together yeah, I think there's. I do think there is something in that people do want a sense of a community, but I don't think that religion is the only way of of creating that. Mm, mm. And, and so, so I don't know that many. In terms of my own friends, I don't know that many who uh, kind of mule and wail about the <laughs> the lack that they feel of the cake sales. Sure. They still go out and freely buy cakes but, uh, from many different religious outlets and secular outfits as well. <laughs> Such as Tesco. Cakes. They're Tesco. And... They, they've broadened their cake choice <laughs> by leaving the fold. I actually did go to a Sunday assembly. So a friend of mine sort of said, oh, go to this thing, a Sunday assembly. And I went along and everything you just said then is, is exactly what I felt. I went, why am I sitting in this room having a religious but non-religious uh, experience, that, not experience, but as in an hour in a room, but without the religion. It's kind of, it was totally pointless to me because the whole point of religion, as you said, you sit in an uncomfortable chair, but you meant to have this epiphany. There's meant to be this feeling that God's with you and that's mostly really good. But if you take that away, why do you have all the horrible things as well? I, I couldn't work it out. So it wasn't for me. If it works for people, that's great. That's up to you and that's the point, but I didn't understand it. I, I would agree. That's, that, that, that's pretty much how I feel about it. And I, uh, but I, it's a bit weird because I have no memory some people have this kind of Damascene moment where they go, I remember where I was when <laughs> God disappeared. Mm. And I just remember one day noticing, I don't even think I ever noticed. It was just mm. like, oh, yeah, that's that done then. Yeah. And I think sometimes yeah. when there are people who 
have a grand moment of mm. of loss and that you know all this kind of talk about you know the god-shaped hole mm. then then maybe they do too but I, i've got i've got lots of holes but none of them are kind of god-shaped they're they're generally caused by by psoriasis and over scratching ah so <laughs> now can have them if he wants but i'll tell you what i think some <laughs> might be infected <laughs> fantastic now okay so we didn't we didn't get you on to talk about religion we, so we gone on to talk about the happiness of science and so now let's just the happiness of science ha- i love it and so let's jump to that then so I mean, I I love science. I get a lot of satisfaction from science. I mean, I'm a physics teacher by trade, so it's it's something I find really exciting, really interesting. But I wouldn't say it makes me happy. Like I can feel that I've achieved something, or I read something new about space, or some sort of black holes. I go, wow, that's interesting. But I don't go, I'm happy because of it. So is this this just? I I, I was going to say it's not so much that you go, oh, science. I feel happy. It's more that there's isn't there an an excitement? Because happiness anyway is this kind of you know it's this ridiculous. Yeah, are you happy? And Mm. it's it's, happy is a is a very kind of transient thing, isn't it? Uh, Overall, if you look at your life, do you see a level of contentment that means you think I'll go on for another week mm. um, and <laughs> I find that when you have those say, say a moment of looking out of a window mm. and you see framed in that window just, just a few bits of life you know a bit of scrub may, maybe some creature or a bird and you have those kind of moments where you think wow framed in that window is more life than there is in the rest of the known universe beyond the planet earth mm. and mm. That to me, and then within ourselves, of course, the the, the multitude of creatures as well uh, <laughs> that that live and and survive within us and keep us alive. I'm going to start eating soap. That, that yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm then sitting there with an enormous smile, but the fascination of that to me is something that brings a level of excitement mm. to being one of what currently appears to be quite a rare thing within the universe. And, of course, we've explored very little of it so far. Mm. But the idea of being a self-conscious creature that can look up to the sky, look through a telescope, look down a microscope and ask, why are we and why are these things? I think, you know, that to me gives some satisfaction of being alive. I saw a video recently, which an amusing point. I watched a budgerigar attacking a cat and the cat was really freaked out by this budgie. It was like, get out of it! And it was just, and it was like batting at the bird. And it can it's easily kill. And the bird was going for its face. And why this amused me? Because I went, there's the ancestor of the dinosaurs attacking the ancestor of the first mammals. And everything's now crossed over. It's all wrong. Giant, <laughs> giant mammal, tiny ancestor of dinosaurs. And it's, it shouldn't be like this. But that bird remembers something. I kept like going, that bird is like some ancient <laughs> memory. It's like, I used to be 25 tons. So what you're saying is that while science... Science may not make you happy. It gives you all the tools to really appreciate all the best jokes. Yeah, and also that moment where you see a buttery girl, which unfortunately has delusions of grandeur and believes it's still a Giganotosaurus. You know, these <laughs> moments obviously are... are, are the, the title may be not so... I can make you happy in just one week. All you need to do is write, read Carl Sagan's Cosmos and these equations of quantum mechanics. Mm. Come with me into a world of Niels Bohr. And then we all sing a song about Max Planck. You know, it's uh, so it's uh, though I might do that as well. You know, I, yeah. I might write some things about Max Planck. I think you need um, to now. I think now the listeners are going to expect you when they come see you in April. They're going to expect a Max Planck song. I'm yeah, just... I'm going to have to. 
the bore him. I mean, it's just there now. It's just, ah, but yeah, anyway. Bore to be wild. Born to be wild. Oh, to be wild. We're helping already. Feels bore to be No, no, wild. stop helping. Stop right, helping him. Stop. He's, he's the comedian and writer. We're just people on the phone. That's what we are. Yeah, but you have the power of the edit. You can turn yourselves into anything you want. Yeah, but, yes, but I do. And Dan, yes, and, I can. And Dan is the editing guy, and yet we still end up the way we sound. What's what's <laughs> happening, Dan? Oh. <laughs> hey, shit in, shit out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about the, the human beings and looking at the world. Now, I heard something really interesting. Someone came, I can't remember the name of the scientist. I apologize. His name will come to me. But he made a comment that he felt that maybe the universe was going through a midlife crisis and, and human beings had evolved. So they could actually look at what's it all about? So we'd actually reach that middle age of the universe. Because we actually are staring at the world now. We're the universe looking at itself. And can we find satisfaction in that? As, I mean, we're never going to get out there. I mean, well, I mean, so saying science is pretty impressive. But like, we're pretty much stuck on this oblate spheroid. Like, we're not going to get off it really easily anytime soon. Is it kind of like a torture that we can look at the universe but not touch it? Well, is it a torture, ultimately, to, to be a self Is self-consciousness almost a mental illness? You know, is there a reason that it hasn't <laughs> evolved in lots of different creatures? We have uh, chimpanzees and orangutans that can recognise themselves in a mirror, a few other creatures as well. And then the idea that we can just sit on a bench and go, why are we here? It's agonising and therefore then we go, you know, the prescription that the doctor gives us is I'd go out drinking very heavily to lower your self-consciousness and give you an alibi for your poor animal behaviour. So <laughs> I, I think that there, it, it is a, it, in one way it's a problematic thing, but if you remove it, then you go, well, you have no sense of your own existence. Mm, so mm. I, I, I like the idea of it's, it's a constant self-consciousness is a constant midlife crisis. Um, but midlife crisis can inspire you to go into, oh, no, in mid- they inspire you to buy the wrong kind of leather jackets. Yeah. Don't they? Yeah. And hang yeah. out with hang out with the person of your preferred sexual orientation. It was way too young for you. That sort of stuff. And uh, yeah. and, and very you know fast cars. Some science conventions and some of those guys, some of those elderly biologists. Mm. <laughs> the universe is going to like hotwire a galaxy and just start hooning yeah, it around. Right. A younger, yes. young shiny galaxy. That's right. So that's it. Well, see, as a, you keep talking about biology, and as a, as a physics person, I find biology disgusting. The whole the whole concept of, of life, it's messy and disgusting. I just don't understand why we do it. The laws of physics are much more clean and, to be honest, better than every other bit of science. I just have to say that. I have to come out and just say physics is better. It's not just me just yelling at biologists, <laughs> as I do, but... And holding a lever above your head. Because <laughs> I can. But uh, do you think that any sort of parts of science sort of point at the satisfaction for you more than others? To me, it's always the fact of not knowing everything, of going, you know, when, when you first, for someone like myself who's not a scientist, and when you first start reading about something like quantum mechanics, when you first start seeing ideas of the world when it gets, you know, when stuff gets very small and suddenly you go, well, this is not behaving in any way that my brain is wired to understand the world. There is, in an odd way, a satisfaction in the level of annoyance of trying to grasp something like that, of going, I'm going to get this. I'm going to read another book. I'm going to try. <laughs> right, let's watch this double slit experiment again. God, this is hard. The, those kind of things, I think, are, once you can embrace that, they give you a, a tremendous sense. I mean, I love also, I love the work of Charles Darwin. And I find that the journey that's been taken since then of trying to understand why living things are as they are and trying to understand behavior, I get, you know, tremendous satisfaction of stopping and pausing and, you know, being 
able to look at my own son and kind of think about, oh, you know, that resemblance there to my wife or to me, there, the, the, the genes with him. And, and so the, those things. But equally, you know, every time that I watch any person show some kind of display involving particle behaviour and me going, well... That's me stymied again then. <laughs> Maybe it's the same way that jokes work. A lot of jokes work because they present you with something obvious and then they flip it so that it's it triggers that part of your brain that goes, well, that's nonsense. That's not mm. that's not the reason that a chicken would cross the road. <laughs> and so maybe it's a it's a similar delight in going, well, here's, here's Newtonian physics and here's what's actually going on on a mm. quantum level. And you're like, well, that's just nonsense. Could be. I think it's also just thinking of the, the ambition of last year I met Peter Higgs and, oh. uh, and thinking Clang. about the fact that... I'll just drop that there. (laughs) I'll throw in more Nobel Prize winners before the end of this. Um, I thought about that beautiful thing. I was talking about it last night when I was doing a a festival where this idea of delayed gratification, this is one of the things that has given us some advantages and some ability to build up knowledge, which is we're not necessarily expecting an immediate reward. And, Mm. you know, Peter Higgs and others over 50 years ago, they come up with an idea and then people go, well, that's not a bad idea. We're going to start digging underneath Switzerland and some of France. We're going to get something 27 kilometres round. We're going to create machines that are currently almost beyond the human imagination. Mm. And then we're going to send round bundles of particles at speeds near that of light. Mm. I'll tell you what, Peter, I hope you're right, because we're putting a lot of effort into this. <laughs> and that, to me, has that is, is a beautiful and grand narrative with mm. no immediate what you might consider to be industrial practical purpose yeah i always kind of picture politicians of all shapes and stripes when it was when it was being built they're about to switch it on so like oh it's very interesting it goes round particles eyes so where does the money come out of it i'm just wondering is there a, is there a hatch for the cash where's the cash hatch and like it's not gonna make it's gonna just spend money and, it'll, and that's it that's what it'll do and like oh who built this thing <laughs> like it's it, it amazes me if it built always annoyed about the fact that we, we didn't really continue our journeys into space that there was there was a point after a certain number of moon landings it was mm. kind of well that seems to be becoming less potent as a, a narrative for the public and he whenever he often will bring up a graph which basically shows the cost of those Apollo missions and then what has ultimately been financially gained. So even, yes. you know, yeah. even when you are doing these things of grand imagination, there are still, in the end, go, well, do you know what? It turned out there were incredible rewards. Oh, and here we go are... again. And Greg's <laughs> always going on about this. Oh, Dan, isn't yeah. Teflon great? Isn't Velcro a marvellous invention? Yeah, yeah. We were happy with hooks in my day. <laughs> Simple hooks, space blanket. glue. Yeah, yeah, that's good to do it. It is, it is I mean, yeah. We so- just scrub the pot harder, Greg. <laughs> it's something we do talk about in the podcast quite often. I get very fired up very quickly. I always think it's funny how we have to create a narrative. I know it's only a fictional narrative, but the idea of people go, why don't? Why didn't we go back to the moon? Ah, and they make a movie. I think it was Apollo 18, and, and it turned out to be like space spiders were up on the moon, and they were eating people. That's why we didn't go back. And you go, no, no, it was just, it wasn't instantly making money, and therefore people stopped it or the cold war and it just frustrates me that we that that's it's such a prosaic reason to stop doing something uh something so amazing and and we just constantly trapped in the gravity well and now i'm sad again sorry i'm just i've depressed myself it is, it's that odd thing isn't it where you have in one side of it it's as bland as propaganda and politics mm. but not the people who are directly involved you know those mm. people who are actually involved in planning those missions involved in the idea of mm. going to the moon they're not there thinking oh do you know what we're in a cold war at the moment and mm. we're in a space race with russia and that's 
really what we're doing is creating a kind of, you know, a, a, a pin-up world for Winston Smith. But that's, <laughs> for, for the actual people involved, that's not what's going on. Yeah. I understand that both the Russians and the Americans were running into various technical issues and that they're actually trading information back and forth, like the oh, scientists really? were trading information yeah. so, that they, so that everyone could get up to speed. No, I, I think it's interesting now in the modern era that people go, oh, we're not doing this, we're not doing this, we're not doing this, and then suddenly they, uh, someone went, oh, the Chinese are going to go to the moon. Suddenly it's back to the moon, everyone to the moon. It's kind of, it, it seems to be human beings a lot of the time will only achieve greatness in a competition. We just can't. Rival see, tribes. Yeah, rival tribes. It's, it's really, I mean, that's what we need to do. That's what I don't really mind if the Chinese go to the moon or go to Mars or Venus. They're human beings, and I'm a human being, and therefore that's awesome. That's one of the big, you know, once you start looking at uh, our journey out of Africa and all of those things, mm. and, and you still see, you know, various, there was a documentary series here done recently by uh, Alice Roberts, which was the, uh, the kind of about the great human journey and how we spread out across the world, and you still get people who are racist being really furious that mm. they refuse to believe that we came out of Africa, mm. and mm. how dare you link me to that, you know, I was I always lived in, in Ipswich, and that's where our family come from. Um, and it's, I, I do find it it's a tremendously depressing thing that some of those territorial things remain, where you go, mm. come on, we've worked out now that it's a really, it's not a big planet, yeah. there's a lot of limitations, and also then you have that thing, as you say, you know, China goes to the moon, so if they're going to go to the moon, we go, right, that's it, get, get that Mars mission going. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? What do you reckon to the Mars mission? I'm all for it. I am desperate to go. I was one of those lunatic who signed up for it, the uh, Mars One. I didn't get very far because I was a lunatic, obviously. But, yes, I... I think that's who they're after, actually. <laughs> no, a special type of lunatic. Yeah, you should never go in for the first interview and just go, do you know what? I am mad for going to Mars. <laughs> that's right. I just, keep, I just keep jumping higher and higher every day and one day I'll get to Mars. No, they, yeah, they weren't, they weren't big on it. But, uh, look, I think it's a really good thing. Whether they get there, because I mean, there's that one, there's the, um, the Mars One people who want to basically reality things on Mars, a reality show on Mars. And then there's another one. It's not Elon Musk. It's um, another billionaire philanthropist. You know, it's Tony Stark, and he and he wants to uh, fire uh, two astronauts around Mars, not actually land on it, but go around. Not, not actually to Mars, just around past yeah, Mars, very very close to Mars, yeah. and come come back. And I'm all for these things. I think these things are very important because, I mean, a I think it. The human beings in the past, people went to America. Like people from your country went to America and they didn't know what they were going to do and they're never going to come home and they, and they would die sometimes and sometimes they would thrive. And now there's this huge country called America or the US. And there's a whole video game called the Oregon Trail. <laughs> there you go. That's it's it. all about it. And, and so people made, took a risk and the world was a better place because of it. And I think Mars is that next step and we need to be bigger and be better and solve the problems that people go, we can't send people there they'll die from radiation okay we'll fix that problem and that so solving of that problem will lead to better radiation therapy for you and me when we get old and my prostate explodes so i, I think it's it'll help everyone but people just can't seem to see that they and also I, what i don't get is it's the, the majesty of it i mean sending a human being in a can to a planet that is that alone is worth billions and trillions of dollars in my opinion so well the trouble with you is that all your desire for scientific endeavor always comes back to your prostate <laughs> the it's a very but important no, I, part I, of my body. I, I mean, I could never do anything like. It's interesting that kind of uh, having. I've done a couple of shows with uh, with Chris Hadfield, who has written clang. wonderfully about you know, his time on. Uh, yeah, I'm going to clang away. Uh, you don't seem to realise. I know Brian Cox. I've seen him without the hair. Um, the, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I hear he, he puts, I hear he sits on ham too. <laughs> but he does have, you know, when you meet him and you see his his manner, his attitude, his you know that incredible calmness mm, that mm. is required to go. You are the kind of person that can go into space, and when something goes wrong, just kind of float out and have. There's a lovely story he told where the first time I think he actually went for a spacewalk, he's just going to do a little bit of repair, and uh, as he starts the repair, suddenly the screws just all drift off, drift off <laughs> into space. Oh. Turns out, and he thinks that's gone slightly wrong, and he mm. just kind of goes, "Right, I've got a bit of a problem up here. Everything's just drifted off," and they go. We'll just stay there for 10 minutes and we'll get back to you. And suddenly he's he's there on the outside of the space station, looking down on the planet Earth, just holding on to something which he described as being just about like a, a luggage strap, really. Oh, my goodness. And then eventually lets go and just drifts round, you know, with with the ISS. And, and those kind of things, when you see <laughs> that mood, that temperament that is required to mm. be able to just drift with a space station mm. is incredible. Hmm. Was he tethered at all? Yeah, I mean, I presume he was probably still connected. Right, he wasn't George Clooneying it. I presume there was... Maybe there wasn't. The way he said it anyway created a a particularly uh, vivid image. As long as you don't push away, as long as you don't give yourself a vector, uh, yeah, that's... Yeah, you would just stay with the ISS. You're not going to drift mm. away from it. You'll just stay with the same acceleration, therefore you'll stay there. I mean, it's only if something hit you or pushed you away or something. But still, th- let's face it, there are millions of years of evolution that says don't let go of the tree. <laughs> don't yeah. let go of the tree. <laughs> it's like, and, and this is a big tree. <laughs> it's, like, I, I, it's an amazing... Uh, how would he do it? I just don't know. I, ugh, anyway, <sighs> better people than I... And my prostate, obviously. <sighs> what did you have to do for your first interview for the Mars mission? I didn't get that far. I didn't get, get to the interview stage. I'm that guy. Unfortunately, oh. I, said, I said, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll never clang my name in an interview. <sighs> but the, uh, no, I, I just put an application in. I got a little letter back saying, thank you, but no thanks. I was like, oh. I, I, I th- might still, you never know. Don't you remember that bloke who was sent into space to see what happens when his prostate exploded? <laughs> <laughs> What was his name again? Prostatey yeah. something. I, I, I don't know. What it no was. one remembers the man. They just remember That's the right. junk. And, there's, and, there's, yeah, and there's a, they just remember the prostate. Okay, kids, we're going to go down to the museum and stare at his prostate for an hour. It's a perfect laser copy. Would that mean that there would be a problem with your space junk? That's very good. That's um. That's uh. Woo, that's, I'm going to off some fireworks. That's, 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 <laughs> that's it. Now, Robin, I'd like to get back to you for a moment because I'm intrigued because he said you don't have a science background. Per se, you don't. You're not a. You're not a, um, a scientist. You, but how did you get involved in all this? Like how? Because this seems to be your thing now. You, you've carved out a niche and you defend it jealously. No. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, how yeah. did it? How did it? How did it all occur? I'd loved science when I was a kid, and then there, there's a problem where I, I think there's. It's a general pattern of a lot of people that between about the age of twelve and fourteen, there's something that happens certainly in UK science education, which means that people seem to start to drift off from it, mm. and then. It was when I was touring as a stand-up in my in my 20s where I was reading. I, I read Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted World uh, for the first time mm. and then went back to some of his other stuff. And I started thinking, you know, this is a really exciting... You know, stand-up is, is kind of very potent. It's, I always go back to a fantastic quote um, by George Carlin, the uh, the American comic, who mm. said, you know, stand-up is uh, a very low art, but it's a very potent art. So you can go up and you can do jokes and you can talk about whether it's consciousness, whether it's natural selection, whether it's, you know, planks constant, whatever it might be, you can find different ways of doing jokes and then just 
sowing the seeds of kind of ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's great that you can do a show and then people you know, get in contact with you via Facebook or Twitter or whatever and say, oh, you mentioned a book by someone or you mentioned this idea. Can you tell me more about this? Or mm -hmm. in the bar quite often afterwards, people will go, you do realise that you've misunderstood that particular piece of <laughs> physics, don't you? So it's a really good way, I find, of engaging. And I find it, it's also an alibi for, you know, when I'm sitting at home reading, if, you know, someone in my family goes, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing some work? You're just reading. I can go, I think you'll find the reading is work. And so it's an excuse for me to be able to just read all of these books. And then it also helps that when, you, when you're trying to understand, you have to understand a scientific idea just well enough to be able to make a joke out of it. If I don't understand the idea, then I can't really come up with a satisfying punchline for an mm. audience. Mm. So you also have that bit, the part of the homework is I go, right, I now need to understand this particular idea of Niels Bohr or Einstein well enough that I can come up with a punchline. And also to be able to make it so it's not a half-hour setup. This is one of the problems. <laughs> yes. I've got some charts to help you get the joke. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's kind of where over the, over the last, I suppose, 15 years, just more... I mean, initially it started with a lot of kind of sceptic stuff. Mm. I became interested in the sceptic movement, and so a lot of my jokes would be about things like, you know, kind of homeopathy and certain angles of climate change, denial and, and uh, it's psychics, whatever. And then mm. I thought, well, it's all very easy just to kind of make fun of those people. Now I have to try and actually get the real science, not just the pseudoscience in there. Which is actually very interesting there, Robin. What you've just said is almost the reason this podcast exists. <laughs> because we, we listen to a lot of different people talking about a lot of different things and all seem to be pointing at other people and going, they're wrong and stupid and we hate them. And, and that's, there's a part, place of that. But then we created Smart Enough. It was always not to do that. We do it sometimes. A lot of the time it's let's talk about the things which are interesting, not about the things that are wrong. And, and uh, we try to promote the good things and, and downplay the, the negative side of things. So it's, 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 I'm glad that other people sort of realize it's, you, you can what's the expression you can catch more flies with uh, honey than you can with vinegar which was pointed out is not actually the case <laughs> it's actually wrong flies yeah, love vinegar <laughs> <laughs> so we actually have a thing on this podcast is that before people get in contact with you saying you don't understand that that part of science and we have something called the walk of shame mm. where we let listeners ring in and ring in sorry what world am i in but anyway email us and contact us and tell us why we're wrong and then we will promote them on the podcast why we were wrong and it's one of the most successful segments of our podcast people take terrible glee in pointing out why we suck and it's, it's wonderful though we, we we really love our listeners for doing it thank you listeners so well i, I think if you can once you can accept that you've you've misunderstood something and because that's the biggest problem we have you know whether it's with journalism whether you know so, across so many different areas that you see it in in a small way with twitter all the time we did a show about quantum woo on the infinite monkey cage i mean there was a lovely bit before before we even got to the quantum woo, we, we saw this fantastic clip of someone explaining homeopathy and saying, we're all energy. Einstein came up with an equation, E equals MC squared. But actually, if you took out all the empty spaces of mass, it takes up very little space in the universe. Mm. So you can kind of cross out the M. And you think, <laughs> well, I don't think you can. No, no. You know, e C squared. <laughs> Doesn't everything uh, explode uh, then? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that great idea of go, going, what? well, some of the numbers in physics are small. So we found it's quickest just to ignore them. Don't do that. <laughs> no, no. You know, it, that's right. It's, Suddenly the world explodes. Tiny number, but it turns out it took him a long time to get there. He's not a bad scientist because his constant's small. Um, and then when we we got involved in an argument where 
because Brian tweeted something to Deepak Chopra. Uh, oh, yes. I love and- watching... Sorry, I didn't mean to... I, watching Brian Cox on Twitter uh, hammer Deepak Chopra is one of my nasty delights in this world. Sometimes I go on there and it's kind of like these cutting remarks from <laughs> Professor Cox and you're like, ooh, it's always fun to listen to. Sorry. Anyway. But the, the trouble is you go, go oh, well, look, look at the way he's, he's... Those cutting remarks, then you go, this doesn't seem to have affected the book sales whatsoever. No, no, of no. Deepak Chopra. This, and this no. was partly which was Deepak Chopra when he replied wrote something about he said do you think that I think it's is it Henry Stapp um do you think that he therefore is a pseudoscientist mm-hmm. and we haven't mentioned him in fact she said so he suggested that we'd mention this this man who's, who's worked with a lot of interesting physicists and now you know has done some stuff with Deepak Chopra about you know quantum and consciousness mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and this guy immediately goes how dare you how arrogant of you to attack Henry Stapp mm-hmm. and I said where, where have you seen this mm-hmm. And this guy then wouldn't let it go. He attacked me every time. He says, stop asking the same question. I went, no, 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 before we have an argument, can you just explain where we have attacked this man? Oh, well, that's what you'd want me to say, wouldn't you? No, 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 I just want to know. And it's like yeah. he didn't care about the fact he has now made up a fact. Mm. And that fact has made him very angry. And mm. he is angry that we are part of this made-up fact. Mm. And, the, and once someone has gripped and decided that this is what they want to believe, then trying to, you know, like like getting a limpet off a rock, you need to kick them with a shoe while they're not expecting it. Hang on, that's a bad way of looking at it. But <laughs> it's um, but I, I'm always and, and I find that's a problem for for me and for everyone where you go, oh no, I've made a bit of a dick of myself. Mm. I've misunderstood that idea. And then by doing these shows and nightly having people come up to me and go, actually, there's probably a paper that you should read which sees that some of your understanding of black holes mm. not quite up to date. And you think, oh balls, I've just come up with a punchline, and it turns out. <laughs> which means this singularity ah this you know this is that's one of the depressing things as well sometimes you come up with a great gag and it turns out it's just as a new paper is published in nature (laughs) which suggests that your comedy is on rocky ground oh that's a so (laughs) is there any way that your approach to comedy has changed because of for instance uh psychology stuff that you've learned or brain chemistry stuff you've learned no i think the only thing that's really changed is the fact that with every show I do I have to underneath there has to be some purpose in why I'm doing it it's not good enough anymore for me just to go it just needs to be jokes and it Mm. just needs to be funny quite often in my notebooks I'll find things where I go I think that's probably quite a funny idea but there's no real reason to do that because there's lots of really great comics who do great observational stuff whatever it might be so that's the one thing is since doing stuff on kind of science psychology philosophy any of those things I'm always underneath it all I've probably got four or five ideas that I hope will be sticky enough to remain with the audience. And, I mean, it's in the same way that we do Infinite Monkey Cage. Infinite Monkey Cage, there's a lot of kind of, you know, mucking about and facetiousness. Mm. But we always (laughs) hope maybe there's three ideas in there which will be the start of something. Mm. for people and that's that's one of the I, I suppose another way that i've changed which is before i might have thought when i was making programs for instance where you're just trying to give someone a kind of here's a handy ideas pack and you can take this away with you and that's that subject done for you 
And now, of course, mm. I realise that everything is a starting point. And with my solo shows, I'm not going, here we go, this is everything you need to know about psychology mm. and, mm. and what we can understand from brain scans. But instead, it's just little seeds of stuff. I'm not entirely sure, yeah, whether I've learned anything from... I mean, I think in terms of the actual stand-up and the delivery of it itself, it's merely 23 years of playing sometimes extremely dubious rooms with highly <laughs> intoxicated people <laughs> or people with very limited concentration or whatever... Mm. All of those different techniques that you realise build up from that time a bottle was thrown and concussed you. <laughs> it sounds like teaching. I mean, I don't face that now, and I would not suggest. Right, just to tell you, anyone who's coming to see me in Australia, I don't <laughs> need to learn the lesson about the bottle anymore. <laughs> keep the bottle on the table. Australians are very polite and quiet people who, who show their appreciation by tapping on things. It's a, it's, a, it's a tap, just tap, 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 tap. That's all you hear, a quiet tapping and a rapping. It'll be wonderful. That's not going to happen. Uh, but the same I like point. The made it sound like an Edgar Allan Poe, so yes. the Australian tapping and a rapping. <laughs> Who's that at my door? Uh, uh, you're talking, you're saying it actually sounds a bit like teaching, uh, um, but you're saying about, you know, except the intoxication like bit. throwing bottles? No, well, well, it's effectively. <laughs> but you're not actually, yes, now, think about Seedy it. Seedy pubs? Seedy pubs, intoxication, throwing bottles. It is like uh, teaching kids. But... I I think it's interesting, not just kids, but because let's face it, it, we get older, but I think it's very little difference between adults and kids a lot of the time, uh, seeing them both in action. Just one one has the ability to get married and drive cars and one doesn't. And it's odd to watch them because people kind of say to me, oh, why do you want to learn about the black hole at the centre of the galaxy to pull something out of the air there? And I always find it fascinating because a part of me goes, well... Because it leads to something else. It's it's another brick in my knowledge of the world, understanding the world around me. I don't have to have a serious understanding. I just need to know more and more. So when kids learn things in school, they go, why do I have to learn trigonometry or why do I have to learn calculus or why do I have to learn about history or anything at all? And I always think to myself, because it's the first step to a better understanding. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start with the trunk of the tree before you get the branches of the tree. But for some reason, we've lost that lesson. We don't seem to teach that anymore. We don't explain that to people. Knowledge in itself leads to more knowledge and that can be interesting in itself well i mean i, th I think in the uk i don't know how it is is there but in the uk that i would like to see more philosophy in the classroom because i think finding out why you are exploring what you're exploring working out why people are telling you what they're saying mm -hmm. and the reasons behind that and you know giving you the armory in terms of a kind of mass media world mm -hmm. where we're you know punch drunk with information and much of it may well be misinformation and and i think you know things like philosophy and indeed the science scientific method gives you the weapons to go, hang on a minute, this particular pill that they're trying to sell me or this particular narrative that the government... I'm saying narrative a lot here. That's obviously one of the side effects of insomnia. <laughs> um, but that these particular things that, the, that a government may well be trying to sell me uh, and the ideas they're trying to sell me, because I know that you have a, a, a very kind of scientific government at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know what? My Facebook page has never wept <laughs> as much as when I saw on the morning after the election the number of Australian friends going, what have we done? Yes. What Athens. Yes, it's it's interesting. Well, they're not they're not pro science. I'll put it that way. They're they're not pro science, and unfortunately, it will come back to bite us on the bum, because unless it, the rapture happens first, that's <laughs> <laughs> so not for you or me, Dan. Not for you or me. We'll be left here. Yeah, it's no. Unfortunately, yes, our country has decided to go down a, a less. A less sterling path of scientific endeavour. And at the moment, it won't matter. Like, no one will notice. But in 10, 20 years' time, Australia will be left in the dirt, which is very sad. Well, they'll let be, let be left knee-deep in the sea, yeah, well, I yeah. think, was the problem. Yeah, that's that's the big problem as well. So, unfortunately, I, I'm not sure. How's Britain and scientific discovery at the moment? How, how's the government and science? 
it's it's not terrible. I mean, there's you know, in terms of finance, it's it, it's it's certainly not as bad as from what from from this distance from the kind of opinions that I'm getting about what's been going on with oh. your current government. But oh, well, I still straight, think I'll tell you straight out, the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization, the the government-run think tank, got its budget slashed by a third. So that's that's you know many many hundreds of millions of dollars removed. So that's you know that's a pretty big thing, uh, and that's that's like the tip of the iceberg. So badness but, is happening. But we're digging some really awesome rocks out of the we ground. We are selling a lot of coal. Yeah, not fossils. Just <laughs> you were set, stuff to set on fire. But <laughs> it's true. It might well, be I think fossils, that's, so don't that, care, that's part of the issue, isn't it? Which is to, to just go that what you gain by, for instance, reading about if, even the history of, the, of science and why we know what we know is to give us a grounding of understanding why for the last century... We've had certainly the, the latter part of the 20th century, a level of comfort and a length of life that human beings, the majority of human beings haven't experienced mm. and a safety in things like childbirth. And the trouble is, mm. I think that the generations we're going through now, some of them don't realise that you used to have to spend a lot more time going to the church and the cemetery to see people <laughs> being buried way before their time. And, you know, when you mm. see things like the anti-vax movement mm. and you know, the, the way that that's gone in, in, in America and, and in areas areas of the UK as well and the misinformation we've had in the press, all of those things, if you haven't got the armaments of going, this is why we have what we have now, the hot water, the cold water that's, you know, kind of that, that's clean, the availability of some of the medicines that we have, electricity, mm. all of these things mm, mm. aren't just a special magic gift that pops up every now and again out of a volcano or from the boxes of a plane, you know. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah cargo. Prince Philip and his cargo cults. Uh, uh, yeah, it's exactly right. People forget or they don't, didn't actually know. And I always feel that the horror of it is going to occur, and I don't want this to happen, but I, I really feel it will, is that what's going to happen is one day you're going to see kids in calipers who have polio and then everyone's going to go holy crap and vaccinations will be back on the agenda everyone will get vaccinated i think we're not getting the visuals anymore and i don't want to have to go that far uh, because it's horrific way to live but i think that's what's going to have to happen and then it's only when you get this obvious you want me to break a couple of kneecaps no 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 i can go because kids don't fight back real hard they're they're very small that's right they're easy to nobble there's a website you can check to see how many kids you can fight at once but that's a different story for a different time oh look that's a (laughs) That's an experiment. That's a hypothesis. <laughs> we'll test it. So I think that these these visual things will have to come, and then we'll all step back into line because, as you said, we, we can't deny it anymore. When the sea is lapping up around your ankles, you know something's gone wrong. It's when I asked sometimes someone said to me the other day that we, we need to stop giving so much foreign aid <laughs> in the UK because we give five times more than America and fifty times more than uh, Germany. And mm. I thought that's a big stat, and I better look that up. Mm. And I was trying to find it, and I I couldn't. And I asked this. I said, well, where, where's this come from? They went, well, you should look harder. I said, but surely you just want to offer me this information because yeah. why would you go, I'm going to hide the fact, even though this fact justifies my position? Mm. And then he was going, well, you can't find everything on the internet, you know? <laughs> and I went, well, just tell me, where did you get this fact from? Where yeah. do you know this from? And it turned out it was from a leaflet from one of our more unpopular racist parties. Uh. But it's that thing of just going, what is your... That's, why do you believe what you believe? Mm. And a lot of people will get very cross. Well, well because it is. Yes. No, but why, why do you believe it? I was too lazy to believe? look it up somewhere else. Mm. Mm. Well, it's cultural. I mean, this thing, I mean, I read a great fact recently. They're saying there are 21 major religions in the world. Of, of the big ones, there's like 21 of them. And it's really odd that 90% of people who are religious follow the same religion as their parents. It's almost as if it's a culturally passed-on meme 
basically. <laughs> you could just say that it's something, and it's culturally passed. And the same thing with a lot of hatred against women or hatred against people from other races or people who are different uh, sexual orientations to you. It just seems to be I've learned it from someone, my culture or my parents or wherever, and that's it. And you defend it because you have to defend your tribe. You go right back to tribalism. If you don't defend your tribe, the lion might kill you because if you if your tribe hates you they won't protect you from the lion and i always think mm. it's that far back it's it's that simple slash complicated and people can't get out of the mindset you don't have to worry about the lions the lions are all gone we killed them all like there's like seven in africa and it's like two very scared tigers and we're, we're all cool with them now but people still respond as if there's like a giant animal in the in the bushes ready to kill them if they don't have backup at all times and it's weird or just a budgery gar a very <laughs> angry budgery gar <laughs> Now, we're going to have to wrap this up soon, but before we... Well, do you know what? I just was going to... You know, when you asked me earlier, I'm just going to quickly say when, when about... Uh, I've realised, of course, one of the things of happiness through science is I'm alive. I'm a middle-aged man who's alive, and I didn't mm. die in childbirth. Mm. So that's kind of... That's one of the things of happiness of science uh, mm. through science is we have that potential of mm. going... It, it was, you know, if, if you've been at the birth of, of a child, I don't know if either of you have, have, a, have a partner or children, but that, that bit of going, you're still quite worried. But you're not as nervous as you know. You know all those films that you see where they're going get the hot hot water and the towels. And mm. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. I'm afraid that uh, Margaret dies, and so is the child. Mm. And then you read biographies of 19th century people, and you see how regular it was. You know, think of Darwin. He lost three children. Mm. He and, and 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 his wife Emma three children. And so there's one of the happiness through science things. I've realised mm. what it is. There you go. The fact that we're not dead early. I'm uh, I'm not as worried anymore about that. I mean, I don't have any children and uh, neither does Dan but I don't have any problems with childbirth only not because of science because I watched a lot of All Creatures Great and Small with James Herriot and he used to turn up and stick his hand right deep in a cow and save the calf every week he was like pulling a calf out of a cow that was like turned or breech birth so I can well they can do it for cows like 20 years ago I'm sure they can now do it for humans surely that must be fine that yeah not- well or maybe, maybe some kind of hybrid cow baby <laughs> sure. to work on. why not <laughs> Um, have you found any science that more targetedly makes you happy? Happy, like addressing happiness on a very immediate way through science. Do you know what? I can't think. I, I've been I've been doing veganism for the last month, uh, just as an experiment. I gave up drinking as well for a year once as an experiment. And that's the thing: if you haven't got religion, you have to find other ways of punishing yourself. But it's, uh, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it's, uh, the vegan diet's been interesting because I have a lot of friends who are vegans and then it's only when I actually read from the official vegan sites that I go, ah, this is the bit where I've gone off the... You know, where they say things like, all animals fear death. And I think, well, do you know what? A lot of research suggests no. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of anything that has been as immediate as merely the simple thing of looking through a telescope, say, at the rings of Saturn or something <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of uh, if you do this, this will cure that. I can't think of any of those kind of nothing in in that pragmatic way. It would be more in terms of the immediate delight of someone saying, point it over there and you'll see Saturn and you look at the rings for the first time. So, yeah, in terms of dietary traditions and and also actually the one that maybe was, uh, I haven't tried it yet, but having had insomnia for some years, I have been told that wearing um, orange tinted glasses for the last three hours of the evening because it cuts out the blue light, which, you know, stimulates the brain. So, uh, and it also then gives me an excuse. You know, when you get into late middle age and some men start to wear slightly tinted glasses, ah, this strange... Very nice. So, yes. so that can be my alibi 
yes. uh, for both falling asleep during conversation <laughs> and also hiding some of the, uh, the the hideousness of my age. I've heard that driving a uh, expensive sports car can help with insomnia as well. <laughs> Hanging out with young ladies as well. <laughs> Now, I have one last question, very important question. Our listeners would be very upset if I didn't ask. You do a show called The Infinite Monkey Cage, and I just have to ask, is Professor Brian Cox as dreamy as he seems? As long as he's being observed, but when unobserved, (laughs) he collapses into a state of not dissimilar to a kind of maggoty corpse. (laughs) Um, But uh, the force of his personality means that he appears to be delightful. Mm-hmm. But if, if you turn, that, that's why he points away so often at other things. Because <laughs> if you stare at him for too long, then he's like a kind of magic eye of a zombie head. Um, <laughs> the, uh, no, I, do you know what? We've, uh, it, it's funny because I never really think of things like that until we're at some event or walking down the street mm. and you see, like, out of a kind of 1960s film, you know, one of those swinging 60s films <laughs> set in London's Carnaby Street, where, my God, is that Brian Cox, the sexy scientist? But I still feel there's a kind of an element of Austin Powers about him. <laughs> Thank you! Yes! Oh, that's been bugging me for years! <laughs> Now, ladies and gentlemen, please thank Mr. Robert Ince, uh, who will be coming to Australia very soon in April, thanks to the uh, the Atheist Foundation of Australia, to actually do a whole talk about happiness through science, where he will talk this stuff and much, much more as well. Have a look. Just type in atheistfoundation.org.au to, uh, to find tickets and to make him wealthy, wealthier beyond the dreams of avarice. Do you know what? We're very much... I, I'm one of those people who uh, my <laughs> ideal is break-even. I think aspiring to riches and doubloons <laughs> will only stop me being art. Oh, there you go. And funny. maybe some warm tapping from an Australian Every- audience. <laughs> <laughs> Every single year, whenever I come up with an idea that almost looks like it's really going to go into profit i always go hang on a minute there's a thing we can do on stage that will cost a fortune (laughs) (laughs) so we get back to zero (laughs) thank you very much robin and all the best thank you have a great weekend that was pretty swish. Austin Powers. Yeah. Austin Powers. I know. That's, that's, that's I know. Stick, makes, stick I will... that scientist in a multicolored suit. It makes perfect sense. Now I'll never look at Professor Brian Cox in the same way. Yeah. It's all changed in my head now. That's fantastic. But big thanks to. I want to see him Ooh. bald and in a shiny gray suit. <laughs> that's <laughs> what I want to see. That's that's the Nero. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see Professor Evil. Ah. Professor Brian Evil. <laughs> I didn't do five postdocs to be called frickin' doctor. Exactly. He's professor. He's much better than a doctor. <laughs> doctor be nothing. Professor Evil. That's how you step up. I don't know if it's bigger. I think it's bigger. It's better. But yes, thank you to Robin Inns for coming on and chatting to us. And uh, people should ze- definitely zoom along. The In the show notes, there will be links to his shows and to the Infinite Monkey Cage. Go and listen to the Infinite Monkey Cage. If you like British comedy and British scientists, then you will like listening to... And if you've to listened to all of Smart Enough, enough to Know, know better, better, then you go and do the Infinite Monkey Cage. Yeah. There's not an infinite number of them, thank goodness. Uh, they only do like eight a year or so, so it's only a small number to, to go and find out. But they're all pretty cool. So him talking about things, Professor Brian talking about Professor Brian. I, I feel I can call him that now. I don't know. I just, right. You're on first name yeah. and title terms I've now him. talked to someone who talked to 
him. That's probably as close as I've been. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You can follow us on Twitter at SC2KB. Facebook as well, SC2KB. You'll find us. You can subscribe and rate us at iTunes. That's right. And if you're interested in seeing what we look at and you live in the greater Brisbane area or you just want to come to Brisbane, we're doing a show. It's nothing to do with science. It's called Speed, the movie, the play. And you're like, hmm, Speed. There used to be a movie in 1994 starring Keanu Reeves on a bus. If only someone would make a play about it. And have us involved as members of the public. Well, we've done that. We are two of the three people who are doing that. Just type into the internet, speed, the movie, the play. It's the first thing that comes up. The internet bows to our whim. It'll be very exciting. And it's at the Brisbane Comedy Festival in March. Nothing to do with the podcast. We're just basically selling ourselves now. That's what we're doing. I'm sorry, but it's true. Yeah, and if you need a website, call me. Why are we here? And as we always like to say... Infinite Monkeys! Oh, now I'm the Premier. Here's my book of shit. Dan Beeston! <laughs> Remember in fourth grade when you kicked me in the balls? Come here. There's no truth to the rumour that I kicked Camel Newman in the balls in fourth grade. Who's fourth grade? Here's yours. Here's no Either truth. of them. <laughs> I will not be drawn into... No comment. No, no comment. comment. That's right. This injury's over. You know what? I'm going to lock that away in a little compartment in my brain. I'm going to lock it. I'm going to throw away the key. Yeah. I'm going to get this key. I'm going to throw it into that room full of monkeys. Excellent. Very trustworthy monkeys. Excellent. I'm going to leave. I'm going to turn my back on them. <laughs> I'm going to do a very sensible podcast. <laughs> Damn it! Stupid monkey. Good. Damn it! <laughs> Where is that coming from? Uh, it's just it's electro, electronic music. No, I know, but why Why are we both doing it now? Because <laughs> we said we wouldn't. Right. And his last name is Ince. So. All right. That's Robin Ince. Ince, Ince. Uh, ah, no! And hey, he's on... Robin! No, 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 no. no. (laughs) You are not helping. (laughs) That's not good. Doing an interview in America the other day where uh, the the person doing it said, I I can't actually tell the difference between yours and Brian Cox's voices. What? So uh, (laughs) I had to become far more macho and he had to become far more fey. It was the easiest (laughs) way to go with it. Were you doing your version of him? Uh, No. That was pretty impressive. I might talk about how wonderful things are and do. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'll get my interview voice on the moment that I'm aware of that. <laughs> Does it sound exactly like Brian Cox? That's the. No, it's uh, one with far more uh, British gravitas. Oh, ooh, that's very nice. Ooh, that's I'm very nice. Adopt that. <laughs> Her being an old Australian. Not that she's old. Uh, but, oh, you know, she's getting on. No, she's not getting... Shh. No spring chicken. No, stop, <laughs> stop saying things. <laughs> no, when she came over to Britain, she changed her age. Apparently, you're allowed to do that. That's true. Well, Australian yeah. years are actually longer than Britain years, so therefore she's younger. <laughs> I don't know. Less sun up there. Oh, yeah, of course, because you're in the southern hemisphere, so yes. gravity would uh, pull the time different. Oh, that's, yeah, I've remembered that. It's now. all that's right, yeah. We're, we're, close, we're closer yeah. to the equator, therefore we're rotating faster, and Therefore, time is going slower. No, no, no. It's that the gravity sinks to the bottom oh, of the globe. Right. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Gravity slides.
slides. Didn't you know that? That's right. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how often we forget. Can you do this thing? We're professionals. We don't know what's... Oh, anyway, it's done now. It's all finished. No, yeah. professionalism limits your options. I, <laughs> for years I've been stand-up and I've never embraced professionalism. Oh, It'll all go wrong. That sounds like something to put on a card that, that would never get printed. I'm an eager amateur. <laughs> I've recently had the fun of doing um, a few brain scans, and they are for fun, by the way. I've, mm. I've uh, met someone on a train, and they asked if I'd like a brain scan. Then I met someone else <laughs> on a train. They said, I, and uh, so a lot of people are interested to find out <laughs> if I do actually have a brain. Which is really, have you ever had a brain scan? No, wait, no. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You, I just want to make sure that this, this stranger on the train, like, you know that a brain scan, you don't need to take your pants off that's, first? That's what I like. Would you like a brain scan? Come into the toilets. Hey, you me. want a brain scan? A little scan? I scan whatever you want. You may not have many of them when you finish, but, you know. Because we just did a podcast yes. with Brian Ernst. Yeah. No, Robin. <laughs> We've just done a podcast with Robin Ince. Yes. Which makes you mm-hmm. the Brian Cox of that particular podcast. How's, how does that work? Because usually Robin is on a podcast with Brian Cox yes. and some other idiot. Yes. So this time it was a podcast with Brian Ince and I'm the other idiot. And Robin Ince. The... Damn it! <laughs> I don't even know. I'm just going to cut all this out. Sounds like a plan. Oh, <laughs> It's so good. Ah, you have been listening.